Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. In this special episode, we're going to speak about the so-called coronavirus, the exact strain of which is the 2019 novel coronavirus, or 2019 NCOV for short. As of this recording, which will be about three or four days ago, there are 17,489 confirmed cases across 27 countries with 362 deaths and 538 people that have recovered. Uh, Virtually all of those cases are occurring in mainland China, but there are 11 confirmed cases in the U.S. right now. Those numbers are subject to change. Um, and, and will almost certainly be different by the time you guys are listening. But we've all been looking at the news, and we know that it's seeming to balloon, and it's getting you know bigger. We're going to talk about some of those details today. But really, the goal is to you know understand what makes this particular strain so potentially scary, other than the fact that it's just new. Um, some of the symptoms about it, and then particularly, what does it mean for HR? because HR is the one that has to set sick leave policies, might be responsible for the safety side of the organization. Additionally, with you know various laws like HIPAA and discrimination laws, navigating the legal side of the employment issue can be tricky. We are lucky to have two experts with us to help us understand the best practices for preventing the spread of the disease and other diseases at work and understand the legal complexities. First, I'm pleased to introduce Elaine Han Lee, MD and Senior Director of Medical Affairs at Healthline. She brings her years of clinical and healthcare technology experience to help consistently create high-quality, empathetic, and engaging content and, and products that uphold the highest medical integrity. We're also pleased to have Alka Ramchandari Raj, an attorney at Littler's Walnut Creek office. She focuses on federal and state occupational safety and health law and assists employers with a wide range of complex situations uh, within the workforce. Uh, Alka, Han, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We're very excited to have you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, first, let's discuss how dangerous this disease is. Um, Han, what is your assessment of 2019 NCOV? How much danger are we in of contracting it in the workplace? And if we do contract it, how dangerous is it? So we've been hearing a lot of reports about the condition, and I think we hear about it in the news because the information that's coming out has talked about the number of cases really increasing, particularly in China, and the number of deaths increasing as well. But it's good to remember that in the United States, we are not actually seeing a ton of new cases, nor are we seeing increases in deaths in in terms of the severe cases in the U.S. So for us, the uh, mortality of the condition is actually fairly low compared to other communicable diseases. Um, At this rate, it's something that most Americans shouldn't be too panicked or frightened about. That's comforting. Um, Of course, lots of people are panicking. (laughs) And uh, and that's how we end up having episodes like uh, the one we're doing today. I think there's a lot of confusion about it. You know, we live in such a social media driven era. Mm-hmm. Information's coming at us from all different directions, reputable sources, unreputable sources. Mm-hmm. Um, do we know how the disease is contracted? I've heard a lot of different sources saying a lot of different things about that. Right. Well, no, we at Health Live Media know all about 
misinformation, particularly in the healthcare space. And we surveil all of that very closely because we very much take pride in the fact that we are based in evidence and science. And we have a very strong mission in terms of informing our audience to make sure that they are armed with the best information. Now, given that with this information, what we recognize is that the best way to really protect yourself is to practice best hygiene um, and to really make sure that you are cautious in your close contacts. Um, so the primary understanding in terms of transmission at this point, which we're seeing from person to person, is from people who've actually been to Wuhan or have been in contact with people who are from Wuhan. So it's very important to know that your average American who's going through their daily lives, going to work or, or spending time with family and friends who haven't been in that region are not at increased risk and should not be frightened about that. That's good. That's good to know. Um, I understand that there is a uh, certain feature of this illness, which is that, and like many um, things like the common cold, uh, let me say that again. You know, I understand that this particular variant of the coronavirus is similar to other coronaviruses that are known as the common cold and various other illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this one is scaring a lot of people because you can, can allegedly get someone sick without having any symptoms yet. Is that true? And what are the implications of that? Well, in fact, actually, that's true about many, many conditions. It's true of your basic influenza flu or the common cold. Um, There are many conditions with which you can have the virus or the bacteria and um, expose someone else even before your symptom onset. What we currently see right now is that symptoms begin between 2 to 14 days after you're exposed. Um, But it's not exactly clear right now whether or not you can transmit the coronavirus before your symptoms begin. I think uh, researchers in the U.S. believe that that may not be the case, whereas researchers in Germany think that that might be the case. It wouldn't be surprising if we ultimately discovered that people before they develop symptoms can spread it because there is a certain amount of viral shedding that can occur in your respiratory um, air droplets. So that just simple talking to someone or sneezing or coughing around them may transmit it. But it's very good to remember too that you have to have a certain amount of close contact too. Close contact is defined around six feet proximity. It's not something where if you are in an office and then someone well on a different floor or you know, on another side of the building would have it. It's it's something about it's more about being close to someone um, who may be trans, who may be who has the virus, and then can transmit it with close proximity. So it sounds actually quite similar to the Ebola situation. I know there was all the obviously there was all that hype, all that fear. Um, that particular disease has a certain way of gripping mm-hmm. the mind, and then you know very reasonable people were like, "Have you been?" to West Africa. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't been to West Africa, have you talked to anybody that was recently to West Africa? And it's like, the answer is no, you're fine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It sounds like it's the same thing with with the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very easy to draw improper conclusions either way. It would be very easy to draw the improper conclusion that if someone looks like they're Asian descent or that they've come from the area or that they came from the area originally, that they may be at increased risk, but someone who hasn't is 
um, necessarily safe and fall into a false sense of security. Really, with science, with evidence, it's all about the information and the facts more than supposition. Right now, with clinicians, we are being informed that anytime we have a patient or an individual who comes in with symptoms that are suggestive, including cough, fever, or potentially shortness of breath, there also has to be a relevant positive travel history too, or a history with someone who has traveled to the area. You can't just look at someone and say, well, they've got symptoms that look like novel coronavirus, ergo, I'm going to sequester them, I'm going to quarantine them, and really you know, it's up to them to prove to me that they don't have it. That's that's really jumping the gun and and leaning into the panic when it's very appropriate and well too early to to think such things. Um, before we switch over to some of the, the legal considerations, um, and I'm sure people are just being inundated with this information, but if you could just briefly let us know what some of the best practices for avoiding uh, getting getting this illness in particular, but, you know, really a whole host of illnesses uh, that, that office managers and people that are at work could follow. That would be very helpful. Well, number one, the first thing to know is the CDC currently does not recommend using face masks. I know a lot of people immediately wanted to know if they could go out and buy face masks and wear it on the subway or wear it to work and whatnot. At this point, we don't think that face masks will help because we don't know which face masks would help, whether they would help um, and whether or not there's any point to it. Second of all, it is, again, really about protecting yourself, being educated about proper hygiene in terms of good hand washing. Now, good hand washing is defined as washing with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, um, and then really making sure that if you touch any surfaces that are in, particularly in public areas, that you avoid touching your face, especially the eyes, nose, and mouth, because it can transmit any airborne droplets that had the virus to your face too. Now, a lot of folks on their way to work will take mass transit and, and they're always wondering about what surfaces on the subway are okay and what surfaces on the bus are okay. Um, studies have actually shown that metal surfaces are particularly good at being resistant to bacteria and viruses, but surfaces like fabric or wood are great um, culture media for organisms. Um, so those are the places that you should avoid touching with your bare hands and then not washing or using antibacterial gel afterwards. <clears throat> and if you're going to use antibacterial gel, make sure that you use one that is at least 60% alcohol. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Um, personally, I'm convinced that every single time I enter a subway that I will leave with a <laughs> disease. Um, well, I've read the stuff yeah. about the metal, the metal rods, which I hold, but I still, still think they're going to get me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like a nightmare scenario, though, for uh, you know, packed in like the mm -hmm. sardines with you know so many different people. Um, well, thank you. That's been very helpful, um, Alka. We want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the legal considerations, um, specifically about what you can do with workers that you suspect might have uh, contracted this or were exposed to it. Can, can, you, like, can you send a worker home that you suspect might be ill? Are there circumstances where employers can't take this action? There are very few circumstances where an employer cannot send an employee home. 
If you suspect an employee may be ill due to the virus, it's encouraged that you send them home. And you may possibly want to send them to a doctor to get checked out. It is hard to force an employee to see a doctor, but you can provide them with a fitness for duty form and tell them that they have to get it signed off by the doctor before returning back to work. The fitness for duty form may need to be modified in circumstances relating to the coronavirus because a lot of employers use generic fitness for duty forms, but those generic fitness for duty forms will not pass the job related and consistent with business necessity test, which is the legal grounds that we look at from an ADA standpoint to make sure that the fitness for duty form is narrowly tailored. The fitness for duty form should focus only on the direct threat relating to the coronavirus and a careful analysis and strategy should be taken for each instance that the employer believes a worker may have been exposed to the coronavirus or if they're showing any symptoms. Great. What are, what are some other legal issues that employers need to keep in mind as they form a plan for handling uh, the coronavirus in the workplace? An employer has to be careful with each case. This is definitely a loaded question. And as we see this issue get broader, we see more complex legal issues popping up. So there are concerns about the Americans with Disabilities Act, potential workers' compensation issues, medical privacy issues. And the key thing is employers should not panic they need to take their time and consult counsel, whether that be in-house or outside counsel as necessary to vet all of these issues. We've even heard of instances where there's bullying in the workplace because employees are getting nervous about potential exposure and employers have to be very careful about how they're containing the situation, what information they're providing to their employees and careful about the information that they're providing to their employees so they're not disclosing any private medical diagnosis or private medical information of their employees. You know, with the holiday that just passed, um, we're also, just like the doctor said, seeing some potential issues with race or national origin, which are protected classes um, under federal and state law. Um, it's also flu season. And so there's a lot of compounding issues about people showing symptoms, not having the virus, but having symptoms similar to the virus by having the flu. So there's a lot of compounding issues. And just like the doctor said, employers need to really think that you don't need to have your employees prove to you that they don't have the virus. You have to vet the situation carefully and take the proper precautions to make sure that you're not, you're being compliant with the law. Yeah, I think we've seen this. Um, we saw certainly saw this during the Ebola outbreak and back um, when SARS was uh, was a thing. You know, these kinds of panics don't really invite a, a lot of cultural sensitivity, do they? No, unfortunately not. But it makes sense, you know, people, people are very human. It's very easy to be scared because you want to protect yourself and your loved ones, but I, I think it's always an opportunity to be really mindful and cognizant of your surroundings and, and the people that you work with. Um, and it's not just about really protecting yourself, but also protecting the people that you work with because you want to be a good coworker and teammate as well. Um, so even 
even in terms of how you are in the workplace is very important. Um, we always recommend that in the workplace, if you cough or you sneeze or you're around someone to try to do it into the tissue and then throw it away. Don't leave rubbish around because that can contaminate surfaces and potentially transmit any illness to another coworker, um, whether it's whether it's coronavirus or just your simple flu virus. This is the right time for employers to go back and provide employees with a lot of those precautionary measures that they have in the workplace, it's still flu season. And all those precautionary measures should be taken into consideration. A lot of the time, employers at the beginning of the season just send out a memo or an email to their employees reminding them of hand washing, basic hygiene and cleanliness, just to make sure that we're not spreading those contagions in the workplace. Right. And I think there's a lot to be said about giving your employees um, an understanding and freedom that it is okay that if you are feeling ill, it's okay to stay home. You know, there are a lot of professions, my profession for one, when medical profession, that if you're sick, you're not necessarily okay to stay home. You have to come in because you have to see patients. But for many professions, it's actually better if you are feeling ill to go ahead and stay home because it doesn't do anyone any favors, certainly not at your company and certainly not in society in general, for you to go through mass transit and into the office bringing in your symptoms and your viruses or bacteria. And it doesn't take something like coronavirus to remind us of that. If you do have the cold, if you have um, any other potentially communicable infectious disease, it's okay to stay home, get well, seek medical attention, um, and really not infect others. That's great advice. Um, are, is, are you able to require employees to notify their employers if they have been exposed to a significant viral illness? You know, in the legal setting, we see this question come up a lot. Um, especially in these types of situations where there's a little bit of panic. It's really a broad question. And the one thing employers really want to keep in mind is regardless of what the employee has, if they're being symptomatic, we generally don't want medical diagnosis unless it's absolutely necessary. The employer should not ask for the medical diagnosis. In situations like this, if we have an employee that has been exposed, what will generally happen is the Department of Health will contact us or the CDC will contact the employer or sometimes the hospital or other medical doctor will contact the employer and let them know that there has been an exposure issues so the employer can take some steps into action. Um, a lot of the time the employee themselves will come back and say, I tested positive, I just wanted to let you know. But generally the employer should not ask for that information because we don't want additional disclosure of other disabilities. And a lot of these signs and symptoms, or some of the symptoms at least, can give disclosure of other medical disabilities, which we really don't want to be privy to. That's medical private information that the employee is entitled to. Absolutely. Um, I was reading earlier about um, some considerations surrounding FMLA and workers' comp. You know, if you get injured on the job, you get workers' comp. 
you know, if there's some serious issue that happens with your family, you can get family leave. Um, and what happens when somebody, you know, gets sick when they're on business travel to China and then, you know, has to take time off? Do they get workers' comp? Are they open to FMLA? So that's also a loaded question, right? There's many different things that an employer needs to weigh to figure out where does this person fit in this realm of leave. So there is FMLA or potentially there could be state leave law. Like in California, we have CIFRA, which is the equivalent of FMLA. And so the employer needs to evaluate if that person is entitled to FEMLA or CIFRA and if they are a covered employer. Um, in addition to that, the employer should look at their personal leave policies to see if there's any other policy that they have in their employment handbook or any other policies that they apply to see if the employer fits within that category, even if they're not eligible for FEMLA or CIFRA. Um, in addition, you have to look at your PTO policies and your sick leave policies. Um, it's potential that we may have an employer that's got a collective bargaining agreement that has limitations on what kind of leave can be provided in this situation. So an employer may have to look at their collective bargaining agreement and evaluate it and see if there is any specific type of leave that needs to be provided in the situation or whether they cannot designate this as sick leave or PTO. Um, and just like you mentioned, there's workers' compensation as well. And if an employee has traveled abroad for business and they have contracted the virus while in transit or while they were abroad, that definitely would be something that the employer should file a workers' compensation form for. Additionally, we've recently had some uh, some issues here where there's been patient to patient contact within the workplace. And in those situations, a workers' compensation claim should also be filed. The key thing is the workers' compensation claim should not be filed unless we find out that the person has actually contracted the virus because it's important not to jump the gun um and to carefully wait for the information before they file that workers compensation claim great answers um alka is there anything else you want to add about the situation from an employment standpoint we are advising employers to effectively analyze each situation Considering there is some other employment issues that have kind of come up in the workplace where there's fear, it's important to communicate with your employees and try to make them understand that there's no reason to panic, no reason to have fear. And if there is something that comes up, you will communicate that information to them. Employers that are silent are tending to see a little bit more uneasiness in the workplace. And it's important to keep your policies and whatever you do in this situation, your so-called action plan consistent. Um, even though we have a case-by-case -case basis, you wanna make it consistent so you don't show any type of discrepancies with how you're treating your employees in this situation. So in some cases, it may not be a bad plan to have a telecommuting policy 
that you utilize right now or administrative leave policy that you use right now for those employees that may have been exposed to the virus. Just to give a little breathing room to your other employees in the workplace and reduce that type of panic. Um, additionally, we're getting some questions regarding face masks, and I know the doctor had mentioned this earlier. Um, an employer should not necessarily just take on an opportunity to provide face masks. Just like the doctor said, they may not be effective, but in addition to that, there are other things that the employer may need to take into consideration when providing those face masks, like training their employees on how to properly use face masks and training them how to maintain them um, besides providing them. So lots of considerations, lots of different issues coming up. An employer just has to be cautious and take their time when evaluating all of these questions. Thanks so much. Um, Han, did you have anything else that you would like to add? Oh, yes. Um, you know, as we're speaking about this in the context of the employee um, environment, this is actually a great reminder of how important it is that employers do offer health maintenance services. Offering up to their employees flu vaccines that are supported by the company is actually a very great measure towards protecting the employees for other communicable diseases. With the coronavirus, there is no vaccination. But again, in the context of other communicable illnesses, this is actually an area where the employer can do great things in terms of protecting their employees. The other thing I'd like to remind folks is that, you know, we hear about these really severe cases because they make the news, they make the headlines in terms of the, the number of um, people who've been diagnosed and particularly the number of deaths most of which, the vast majority of which have happened in China, what we're not hearing is the vast number of cases who've been diagnosed and who've completely recovered. In your general population with people who are young and healthy and who don't have any problems with their immune system, they actually do quite well. Um, many of the people who've been diagnosed have either cited that they actually had very mild symptoms or they didn't even really notice symptoms. They just got screened because they were in close contact. And so that's another good reminder that, yes, we're hearing the headlines, but keep it in the context of, again, this is a communicable disease. It's in the flu season. We need to protect ourselves, but let's not panic where it's not warranted just yet. Well, thank you again, both of you so much, um, Alka and Han, for taking the time to join us today, uh, especially uh, given the, the last minute notice. <laughs> it was wonderful. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're, you're most welcome. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what we should cover next. Feel free to reach out to me at jdavis.blr.com with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.